Well, we are today in Matthew chapter 7. Um, as we continue our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, beginning in chapter 7, we continue a list of do nots. Now, in chapter 6 and verse 19, we begin by saying, do not, be, uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. And then in verse 25, we saw, do not be anxious for what you shall eat or drink or clothes for your body or the length of your life. And then we saw in verse 34, do not be anxious for tomorrow. So we've already started a list of do nots. And so now in chapter 7 and verse 1, he says, do not judge. Now this is one of the most misunderstood and misapplied teachings in scripture and understand up front that Jesus wasn't issuing a blanket rule that people are never to judge others and that we look at the as we look at the rest of the passage then we're going to see what Christ is really addressing now remember that Jesus is addressing kingdom living in the Sermon on the Mount and he is particularly addressing the hypocrisies of the Pharisees and the scribes that were pretty much controlling religion during this day. And so he is comparing and correcting kingdom living, and he's holding it up to what they were doing wrong, what they were believing that was wrong. And he's holding it up to what the scribes and Pharisees had defined as righteousness. Now you will remember that they had come up with their own conclusions of righteousness and they were trying to force everybody else to bow to what their definition of righteousness was. So let's begin by reading the first five verses of chapter 7. Chapter 7 verses 1 through 5, the Gospel of Matthew. Do not judge lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye now when he's talking about judgment here when he uses the word judge he's not talking about the judgment of courts or the judgment of the church when offenders need to be called into account he's not talking about our holding each other accountable for things that God says are wrong. Uh, and, and he calls us to our accountability to deal with these things according to scripture. But often people who mishandle this verse try to use it to cover sin, as a shield for sin. Have you ever uh, gone through that with somebody? This is a way to keep others at bay and to keep them from questioning you or to... Um, allow them to justify living as they please without any regard 
for moral boundaries or accountabilities without any regard for the rules, the laws that God has given to us in his word. And so they're going to say things like, um, well, is this really any of your business? Or they may something, say something like, who gives you the right to judge? You get that one? Aren't we all sinners? Yeah. Is this really any of your business? So they take that attitude to get you away from them. Right? And so they're going to quote this verse. They're going to quote this verse that says, Judge not that you be not judged. Now they don't quote the rest of it. They just stop right there. Okay? So they're just pushing it to say, you don't have the right to judge sinful behavior. Now, understand up front, God never says that. In fact, when we hold this up to the whole counsel of God, there are a lot of other places in Scripture where God says you do hold each other accountable for sinful behavior. So what are they doing? They're taking this out of context, and they're applying it to suit their own desires. They're twisting the Scripture from the truth that Jesus has given us. So they use it then to either just stop conversation or to uh, just change the subject. Sometimes Callie says to me, let's change the subject. And we all get there sometimes, don't we? So they try to get off the hook by quoting this verse. And so question number one, does the Bible actually say, judge not that you be not judged? Yes, it does. That is exactly what it says. But remember that when you're interpreting scripture, context rules. Context is king, and it's got to be held up to the whole counsel of God. You can't just pick that part of a verse out of scripture and use it for your own personal needs and desires. So what did Jesus mean when he was speaking to the disciples about judging? This word judge in the original language is K-R-I-N-O. If you want to research that on your own, K-R-I-N-O. And it means to assume the office of a judge or to assume the position of condemning someone. Uh, it means to pass sentence or to have a trial. So he's talking here about you taking it on yourself to have your own opinion forced on somebody else on the, so that you can condemn them, so that you can pass sentence or have a trial for them. It does not mean, here's the rest of this, it does not mean to question or examine or investigate. Does not mean to question or examine or investigate. That's a whole nother Greek word. So the word here has to do with condemnation. Now, for the Christians, and again, Jesus is talking to whom? He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking to believers. He's talking about believers. He's talking to the disciples. And we know that, you know, the verse in Romans that says, there is now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. So all of a sudden, all this stuff starts coming out here in this passage, but he's not saying it's not okay for you to investigate. It's not okay... Uh, it, it's, it is okay for you to investigate. It is okay for you to question. And so just remember that what he's talking about here 
is condemnation. Now, he's addressing the situation that's held up against the backdrop of what the Pharisees and scribes were teaching. And the Pharisees were quick to see the sins of others, but they were totally blind and unwilling to deal with their own sin. They were unwilling to hold themselves accountable to the same standard that they were imposing on everyone else. And so that's the situation that Jesus is dealing with here. So Jesus is telling us what it means to live faithfully as a committed follower of Christ, one who pursues holiness just out of reverence and love for God. So remember how he started the sermon back in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What did it mean to be poor in spirit? To know you need a savior, to know that you're lost, to know that you're a sinner. And then he said, blessed are they that mourn. Mourn about what? Mourn about your sin. Okay? So there's the foundation for this. And so, blessed are the meek. And so, you're not seeing any of this in this attitude of judgment that he is dealing with here in chapter 7. So, the Pharisees were just notorious for defining and condemning all of the shortcomings of others when they were doing the same thing. So, Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what heaven's going to look like. He's going to say, there's not any of this junk going on in heaven. It's going to be different. So, Jesus tells them that the same measuring stick that they use to measure the lives of others is going to be the same measuring stick that's going to be used to measure them. So all of these times where they're doing the same thing they're condemning others for, ultimately, Jesus is telling them they're going to be held accountable for that. So notice that there is a problem with your brother's eye and there is a problem with your own eye. Look at it. So let's read it again. Do not judge lest you be judged for in the way that you judge you will be judged and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye do you have a translation that says something other than speck what the first one in in your brother's eye splinter some will say particle of dust this one says speck. So look, what's the problem in your brother's eye is what? There's a piece of dust. There's a particle. There's a speck. There's something. Moat, okay. Something small in your brother's eye. What's wrong in your own eye? Plank. Beam. Post. Log. Now, what's the difference in a speck and a beam? So, he's, Jesus is questioning and he's saying to them, what, what's, what's in your eye? <laughs> a plank. And so, what they did was, the situation he's dealing with was that they were refusing to take the plank out of their own eyes before they dealt with the speck 
in the eyes of others. Okay? Now, if I've got something big and awful in my eye, and you've got a little something wrong, maybe an eyelash or something in your eye, are you going to come and ask me to get it out? Most likely not. Okay? And so this is what's going on here. And so the greater judgment is reserved for the one who has purposefully overlooked his own mammoth sin while pointing out the smaller sins of others. And so that's the situation he's dealing here with the Pharisees. They were in habitual, enormous sin. You know, sins that were opposite. They were opposite from being poor in spirit and from mourning over sin and from being meek and from hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They were opposite from all of that. And so what Jesus is doing, he's, he's setting up this contrast. And he's saying, you know, if you purposefully overlook your own sin while pointing out the smaller sins of others, you're going to be judged the same way. So the whole issue here is the same issue as he started with in Matthew chapter 5. I'm almost ready to say that the whole theme of the sermon is hypocrisy. That's what he's dealing with here. He's dealing with hypocrisy. Now, there are two commands. The first command is stop judging others in a hypocritical fashion. And number two, get the sin out of your own life. Those are the two inherent commands that are in these five verses. So understand now, Jesus is not saying that we have no right to make moral judgments uh, about human behavior and he's not saying that we should not hold each other accountable because when you hold this up to the whole counsel of God what are you going to find we are supposed to do that now there are right ways that he was to do that that he defines for us in scripture but he's he's not talking about addressing sin he's not talking about addressing sin in the church because remember who's he talking to here he's talking to the kingdom He's talking about the kingdom, and he is addressing hypocrisy in the kingdom. And the hypocrisy is what? Don't condemn somebody else for when you're going along doing it. Now, how many of you recognize with me that the world's full of that? And so, does the passage tell you to take the speck out of your other brother's eye? Does he command you there to take the speck out of your other brother's your brother's eye? No. So what's ha what's happening with these Pharisees is they're just deciding you've got a speck in your eye. I'm going to get it out. Well, wait just a minute. They weren't able to get it out because they hadn't seen their own, the log, the plank, something big, was in their own eyes, and so. Um, he just says, stop doing this. Do not judge the way you are judging. Do not assume the position of a judge who is ready to condemn everybody that he doesn't like. And that's what was going on. So, what are the conditions for speck removal? Okay, what are the conditions for speck removal? Does... Let me ask you this question. Does the, does the passage, given the whole counsel of God, 
does the passage forbid all judging or does it just forbid a certain kind of judging? It just forbids a certain kind of judging, doesn't it? So the Lord may or may not let you get away with these people who say, don't judge me. You know, what's the answer to that going to be? I'm not judging you. I'm holding up the word of God, the standard of Jesus to this situation from whence I have fallen as well. And so sometimes we fall into expecting more of others than we expect of ourselves. That's a huge thought for me. And, and something that, I don't know, it's been some years ago, but a realization that came to me is the people in the world expect more of us as believers than we expect of each other. I don't know, this was tons of years ago when um, the church had a pretty strong position on not dancing. And so some Christian girls had gone to a dance and the question of the other people at the dance was, what are y'all doing here? Now there probably wasn't anything wrong with them being there, I don't mean to imply that. But the implication was that the world understood that there's a standard for Christian behavior that Christians are not living up to. And do you know what that has done to the reputation of Jesus and the body of Christ? And so that's what he's dealing with right here. So we just fall into this thing of expecting more of other people. Well, you ought to do so-and-so. Well, did you do that? No. And it's the same kind of thing when we slide into that, you know. And so we develop judgmental attitudes. And we succumb to that, and we're so willing to pass a judgment that we may not have any right to pass. Um, there is a big difference. I think you already know this. There's a big difference between a log and a speck. And so the judging that Jesus calls hypocritical is that which notices specks in others and misses the logs in me. So when I'm going to deal with a speck, what am I going to have to do first? Deal with my own logs. And I need to know before the Lord that I have dealt with those. And you know what, what helps a lot is when you've had to deal with your own sin, when you've been there and done that, it helps you a whole lot to know how to help somebody else deal with their sin when you've been there and done that. And so this kind of judging that Jesus talks about is just unbelievably destructive. You know, um, <clears throat> We know some people that instead of going after the plank, they're going to go after your whole eye. Instead of going after the speck of dust, I should have said, they're going to go after your whole eye. You know, they're just wanting to destroy you, wanting to knock you down. You know, they hate you. And you don't, don't really know why they hate you. And I guess what I'm learning and discovering or rediscovering is that some people don't hate you because of anything you did. They hate you because of who you are. Maybe your presence, 
the Holy Spirit in you is convicting. Or maybe you do confront sin according to the word of God. They don't like it. They don't like it. And so we have to learn with the heart of Jesus and the sweetness of Jesus to handle that gently. Now, unfortunately, so much damage has been done to the reputation of the church by Christians who say one thing and do another. Have you ever encountered that? You know, so that if maybe you will make a comment about somebody ought not do so and so and so and so, somebody's going to say, well, what do you do? And so that goes back to the first two Beatitudes, doesn't it? Poor in spirit, I know I'm a sinner and I'm going to walk in that humility and then I mourn over sin. I mourn over not just my sin, but the sin in the world. We got a lot of that to mourn about, don't we? The attitudes and how they are permeating every area of life. And so we will never be perfect, but it is important that we live lives of consistency and integrity in order to safeguard the name of Jesus and the reputation of the church. We're called for that. We have sent so many wrong messages about who Jesus is and what he does by our behavior. Not so much about what we say, maybe, if we're in a Bible-believing evangelical church, but when we don't act that way, guess who notices? The world notices. And those are the kinds of things that Jesus is dealing with here. Because the second beatitude defines us as people who are grieved about the sin in our lives. And when we see it, what are we to do? We're to address it, confess it, and forsake it. And that's a lifestyle. It's the way we breathe. It's not something we just decide to do every now and then. It's how we think. It's how we move. And when we do this as a lifestyle, then that makes us available and ready to help others address their sins. Speck removal is always for the purpose of restoring. Speck removal is to be done to restore, and it is to be done in meekness and gentleness. And we know when we're removing that speck, you know, that could be me. That could be me caught in that. Um, we don't know why people make the decisions they make. I don't know why I've made some of the decisions I've made. You know, they seem reasonable at the time. But I was not focused and careful to hold those things up to the counsel of God and to trust him to do his thing instead of me thinking that I needed to do it for him. And so it's easy to fall into judging without love. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm going to let somebody mess around in my eye, I want them to be really gentle and really careful, and I prefer, now a doctor will do that, but I really hope he likes me. You know, may not love me, but I, I hope he likes me. So when, when we've got those tedious things in our lives that need to be dealt with, what do we want? We want the gentleness. We want the understanding. We want the humility. We want the meekness. 
and then it's easy to fall into judging according to our own standards of behavior instead of God's. It may just be something that's cultural for me that I don't like and I call it sin, but God never, I can't find it in here where God called it sin. You know, have you got stuff like that in your life? Well, I do. If I'm by myself, I'm by myself. Okay? So, <laughs> the truth is there's some Pharisee in all of us. Hold your hand up. It's just in us. I read a book. It's been a long time ago now, but it was a book that so spoke to my heart at the time. Um, I was dealing with a very difficult situation of judgment against me for something I had not done. And there was a, I, got, I had a book, the Lord put a book in my hand called The Pharisee in Me. Oh my goodness. I just might need to buy a bunch of copies of that and give out, you reckon? I won't do that. The realization though is, yep, I've got plenty of it. And so it affects my expectations. It affects what I expect of others. It, you know, and it, what I'm expecting may be Southern, but it may not be biblical. And there are a lot of things like that. So what is our job? To constantly discipline our minds and to hold everything up to the whole counsel of God. That's where our decisions have to be made. And so we've got to be careful not to add our own preferences and traditions to the word of God. And we've got a lot of Southern traditions, Baptist included, that have been added to doctrine that are not in this book. So we are told to hold everything up to God's word. So understand now with this passage, Jesus does not forbid all judgment. He forbids harsh, prideful, hypocritical judgment. You got that? He, pro, he, he, he forbids harsh, prideful, hypocritical judgment that condemns without evaluating its own spiritual condition and is committed to forsake sin. That's the judgment. That's the true judgment. That's the judgment that we all stand up to when we all stand up with this book as our plumb line. When we all stand up to this book being our standard, we all fall in the same sinner's category and we all need Jesus and we need to fall at the foot of the cross. So if we look at the context, the I'm sorry, the whole counsel of God, then we, see, we can see a picture of what God's word calls sinful judgment. So I just put all of that together and I've come up with one, two, three, five summary statements of what sinful judgment looks like okay sinful judgment number one superficial judgment is wrong superficial judgment is wrong that means judging solely solely on the basis of appearance how it appeared to you and hasty conclusions without asking questions do you ever judge anybody without asking the person questions what'd you do Why'd you do it? Um, <laughs> I'm making up a story, okay? But stuff like this happens. Let's say that um, 
uh, Andrin is stranded on the side of the road and a man comes along that is somebody else's husband and picks up and rescues her to bring her to town for her car and the next word that gets out is I saw Ann drinketh with so-and-so's husband come on that happens every day without asking the question or going to Ann and say Ann what happened why were you in the car with so-and-so oh Just asking enough questions would eliminate a whole lot of confusion and judgmental behavior. So number one, superficial judgment is wrong. Number two, hypocritical judgment is wrong. Do not condemn another person for doing the same thing you do or would do if you're in that situation. Don't condemn them. We can pray for them. We can acknowledge our sin, but we are not to judge them with condemnation. Number three, harsh, unforgiving judgment is wrong. Harsh, unforgiving judgment is wrong. Number four, self-righteous judgment is wrong. And number five, untrue judgment is wrong. Bearing false witness, slander, telling stuff that you don't know if it's the truth or not. So the answer to that is that we all are to be discerning to hold these things before the Lord and let the Lord communicate with our minds and hearts what is the truth of that situation and not go barging into it but asking the Lord am I the one that you want to help deal with this am I the one that you have called for this what do I need to do in this situation and so you pray through it you know Christians we're being accused today often of um, being judging or intolerant when we speak out against sin and opposing sin is not wrong opposing sin has got to happen in this world that's what the kingdom of God is for on this earth thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that's going to have to do with dealing sin so opposing sin is not wrong Holding up God's standard of righteousness is not wrong, but it's got to be done in the right way, with the right motive and the right heart. So we're not to judge unfairly and unrighteously. We are to gently confront erring brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're to speak the truth in love. That's the calling of bodies, you know, to all of Scripture. Well... How can I tell if I am judging with righteousness? How do I know? I ask myself these questions. Number one, what is my motivation? What am I doing it for? What I expect to get out of it? Okay, what's my motivation? Number two, is love for God my focus? Am I doing it because I love God and I'm loving that person or because I'm irritated by what they're doing? Okay. So what is my motivation? Is love for God my focus? And number three, am I loving my neighbor? Am I doing it out of my love for this person? Because I see what it's going to do to them. I see what the ramifications of it are going to be. And the next question is, am I concerned in a condemn am I yeah, am I concerned in a condemning way? I have condemnation in my heart. I won't get them for doing it. 
and am I doing eye surgery with great humility and gentleness? It's equivalent to that. That's what he gives us. The gentleness of eye surgery. Now, there are some people who want to take this verse and they're going to say, there is never to be any judging of any kind anywhere. Just keep your mouth shut, keep your opinion to yourself, and don't judge anything. Now, I want you to look at next week's lesson. I want you to look at verse 6 and see how that does not make any sense. Because the next do not is do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine. Now, if I don't do any judging, any righteous judging, how am I going to know who are the dogs and who are the swine and what are the pearls? Okay? So that's where we'll start next week. Do you have questions or comments? Yeah, Melissa. A little louder, darling. Psalm 51, this is one. Psalm 51, 1 through 13. Let's see what that says. I don't remember off the top of my head. Ah, be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only man that's a huge thing against thee and thee only i have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight so that thou art justified when thou dost speak and blameless when thou dost judge in other words i deserve whatever you do and so then he goes on to talk about it and um up in verse 11 he says do not cast me away from thy presence do not take thy holy spirit from me now this is old testament so that back then the holy spirit came and went it didn't indwell yet until after Pentecost and he says restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will be converted to thee so what's David saying deal with me I get it I'm a sinner cleanse me deal with me restore my joy and put me in that place where I can teach transgressors your ways that's a good one, isn't it? Anything else? Well, I love you, and I cannot wait to see you again next Sunday. Hope to see you sometime in between, but in the meantime, pray for one another.